Hello and welcome to Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about time travel. We're talking about what makes logical sense and what doesn't. We're talking about how people use it in movies and we're talking and TV shows. And we're talking about once time travel is a possibility, what is the morality of using it or choosing not to use it to address past or future problems? All this and more with special guest Rob McKenzie. After a commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I'm joined, as, as I mentioned, by Rob McKenzie, our, our guest, who has uh, been a guest a couple times on the podcast uh, on a couple of different topics that uh, we've had you on to discuss magic and discuss um, Brandon Sanderson novels. And I was really thrilled to find out that you are a, a big fan of time travel and, and thinking all about time travel. So really good. Really glad to have you with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm a I'm a science fiction reader. I read a ton of stuff and I think about it and uh, we talked about the ethics of AI before uh-huh. in, rela- in relation especially to I was the the science fiction writing side of things. Right. Um and there's a lot of stuff buried in time travel as well. Yeah. So, I I'm excited to chat about it. Yeah, and I think I really am too because uh and part of what inspired this uh for folks who know me and know me on some of my other po- uh, um Stranded Panda podcasts. PandaVision uh, just wrapped up their uh, set of episodes that I was on about Umbrella Academy. And I had a lot of problems with both season one and season two, mostly relating to time travel. And I think I've, I've become pretty much known <laughs> as a person who is generally very grumpy about time travel. And I, I liked the what, when talking with you offline, it helped me get an understanding of the fact that you really seem to have both a love for this, but also that you bring a pretty rigid analysis to how you look at time travel. And that somehow as part of that, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure comes up as a strong example. Yes. So I, yes. Th- th- this is kind of your chance to convince me that time travel isn't always bad. And also just to have us have a conversation about what is it that makes time travel make sense or not make sense? And how do how do we kind of wrap our brains around it? Yeah. And um, the, the things that I want to talk about that we're not covering. So yeah. there's... So time travel has a bunch of branches, and it's been, as far as literary treatments of it, it's been around for a very long time. Right. And there, so I want to talk about the types that I don't want to talk about, basically, so that people don't get too excited about some of the stuff. Yeah, we, we don't um, want this to be a 10-hour podcast, so we're exactly. going to narrow the focus. Um, it, it, so I don't want to talk about precognition. So like the movie Minority Report, which I have opinions on, as you can probably <laughs> guess, um, we're not going to talk about that. I don't right. want to talk about parallel universes or alternate histories that are just like what ifs. So right. like the man in the high castle was just on Netflix. That's a based on Philip K. Dick story and both minority report and uh, man in the high castle are actually Philip K. Dick, uh, mm. but they, it, I don't want to talk about alternate histories, but those are super fascinating. They're super interesting. There is a lot of questions. I don't want to yeah. Yeah, like, I, I don't <laughs> want to spend this podcast talking about them. Yep. Um, things that are experience loops. Uh, Groundhog Day is the classic example that everybody mm. loves and knows. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow is another movie that does it. That is just this one person keeps their memory through a set of experiences. Uh, one of the top five episodes of Next Generation, Cause and Effect, is an experience yep. loop. Uh, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. And forward only big time jumps. A bunch of people qualify these as, as time travel. And what this strictly does is disqualify the time machine um, yeah. by H.G. By Wells. Or any Rip Van Winkle-style story where somebody just wakes up much later or jumps forward. Planet of the Apes, Interstellar, they're, they're move forward into the future, see what the future looks like kind of things. Right. Uh, there, there's That's a whole subgenre that is super fascinating. Uh, and I, 
I just don't want to want to spend this podcast talking about those because I think that those are they're fascinating, but they're not not what yeah. we think of when we think of time travel. I, I think that's a really good way to frame it. And I think you just listed all the things that we're not talking about. I think tell me if you would put this a different way. But I think the best way we can sort of uh, positively talk about what we're doing today is we're talking about situations where our characters go backward in time to try to in some way change something so that the time that they go back to, you know, that they started from is different or to prevent it being different or that, that in some way we're talking about that changing something from the past can affect something in the future or in the present. Right. Or alternately that they can move both directions in time because normally you get to move forward. Everybody, everybody moves forward in time at one second per second, except for that one guy. Um, (laughs) Literally there's one person who's like a a millionth of a second younger than everybody else because he was in orbit for long enough. Right. Uh, But everybody else moves forward at one second per second. And you can, you can imagine skipping forward faster, basically going into suspended animation. But the the thing for plots for interesting science fiction is going backwards. The thing right. that you can never do the 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 stuff that is pure science fiction. So so what is it you like about that? what what is it that really kind of draws you to time travel as a as a plot device in, in things that you enjoy? So it gives the author a tool to address regret directly in a lot mm. of ways. Uh, you know when you look at Quantum Leap, classic TV show. The, it, over the opening credits, it goes, Sam Beckett goes to set right what once went wrong, right? We, right? We've all done something bad. We've all done something terrible. We've all we've all had mistakes and low points in our life. What if you could redo them? What if you could get a what, what if you could get a mulligan on, you know, breaking up with your first girlfriend that you found out was really the best for you? Right. Right. And uh, what, what if you could go back and invest in Tesla stock or invest <laughs> in Apple stock? Right. Everybody has these, you know, hey. I I would go back and I would bet on you know the bet on the Twins winning the the World Series the year after they're at the bottom of the league right, right? infinite dollars right but and so it gives authors this what what if you knew what what if you knew what you did wrong could you fix it yeah right like it, it, oftentimes characters you can you can write them in a straightforward setting where they're like I know I'm doing something wrong and I'm doing it anyways because that's superhuman mm-hmm. right but what if you what if you knew and did it anyways? Or what if you you knew and found out that there was worse options? Or what if you knew and you found out that whatever you did didn't matter, actually? Right. And okay. so it lets people address regret and failure and loss mm-hmm. in ways that you can't do right. uh, cleanly otherwise. I think that's an interesting perspective to start on because... I think the general concepts you're talking about can be applied to a lot of the time travel we'll be talking mm-hmm. today. But it seems in this moment you're talking about a fairly small subset of where it's about something you personally did. You know, this isn't about – like what you just said like isn't necessarily the same as like going back to kill Hitler or something right. like that. It's about well, can you change a decision that you yourself made. And, and going back to kill Hitler is is a you know the the big picture example of what you would do to try to to save the 20th century right, right. and the the thing is that that that's making it a a general problem right mm-hmm. but right. really good stories are almost always personal problems right and, yeah and I think like back to the future I I, I mean I think we'll, we'll probably talk yeah. about that it's maybe not the the best example of time travel anyway but it sort of always felt like there's a sense of which 
if all you're doing is trying to figure out if two particular people do get married and three particular ch children do get born, that's a lot different than trying to change the course of world history. Right. And, and I feel like when it comes to plotting, I'm willing to have a much lower standard of logic when it's when when the consequences are so much less. Right. Um, and so we have a general section of like your questions are what what works and what doesn't or logical questions and moral questions. Um, the the logical questions. Um, I'm actually going to jump to the types of time travel. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk talk about how they address any kind of logic, because one of the fundamental things is that time travel doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Um, there's there's some actual like physical implications to time travel that mm -hmm. imply stuff that no time travel movie is ever going to take on. Right. Because uh, one of the things is if you could send messages back to the past, that means you have infinite computing power. Yeah. So you you really can't send anything that counts as coherent data back into the past. Um, you can't. It, it it's just not a thing. Um, in theory, you could you could build mega scale structures that could let you move backwards in time. But right. it uh, there's a funny Larry Niven story, which is a joke that I'll talk about later <laughs> for that too. Uh, but so logically, it doesn't work. It's simply a plot device, right? Right. And the the logical questions boil down to there's three different types of time travel. Mm. Um, some things treat there's one timeline, there's one universe. Anything that you do changes history. Back to the Future that we talked about is exactly like that. Right. Um, Star Trek is always like that too, mm -hmm. where well, mostly true uh, because Star Trek's big and inconsistent. Right. But uh, Back to the Future, you change the past, it affects the future, and one of the things about these kinds of movies is or writings is it treats the viewpoint character as somehow special. Right, that they're kind of outside of the consequences of these things. Yes, or they, the consequences take time to impact them, or the, it comes up with some some hand-wavy reason why changing the timeline would let that outside observer remain the way that they are. Right, so in Back to the Future, the, the, the circumstances that are supposed to create Marty McFly no longer exist, yep. but, but the... Whoever, whatever controls time is going to take a while to wipe him out of existence, giving him a chance to fix it, whatever it is. Right. And sometimes that's addressed as time propagates forward through time. Mm. Like it takes it like it takes it, it takes time for time to move forward and it moves at a different rate or whatever. And so it, like Marty McFly slowly fades out as as the changes propagate forward through history. Right. Right. Um, even though he then travels forward into the future where it's already propagated. Back to the future has no logical basis in anything of what it does. Right. Um, but um <laughs> This lets you it lets you have the classic grandfather paradox. You go back in time and kill your grandfather before he he married your grandmother. What happens to you? Right, right. The the classic, you know, you you did something and it changed things, and now your existence it ceases to be. Right. And the and to me, the next step of that paradox is: so if you no longer existed, how did you exist in order to go back and change the thing? You know, and that's right. where, that's where we get into these, like what I've referred to the thing that I'm, I dislike most is the paradox is the time travel paradox loop, where something in the future is what caused the thing in the past. The, you know, and so and, and we'll get to that. I know. I think with yeah. the ne next one you're going to talk about. Right. Um. So the. I have moral questions, but we'll we'll come swing back around and talk about those later. The other right. the the other big logical branch is full predestination. Everything happens. Right. It happens. Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy says that a, the 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 moral stance that he takes is anything that happens happens. Right. Um, and so from predest from a predestination standpoint, 
and nothing changes. Any change that you make is already taken into account by the timeline and in fact was mandatory. You cannot make any decisions that have not already been made. And, and we say this is where a lot of those that, – that logical time loop thing comes in where mm-hmm. the thing that happened in the past is because predestination already knows that in the future you're going to go back and try to change the thing. Um, right. Yeah. And so um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure that you mentioned I think is one of the cleanest examples of mm-hmm. a exact predestination plot. Every decision that Bill and Ted make over the course of the movie is mandatory. There's no decision. Nobody actually makes any decisions over the course of the whole movie. In fact, they're capable of having a conversation with their past selves where they don't change anything, in part because they're idiots. Right. That's very true. Right. And so anything that they were going to say was scripted anyways, because you can you can totally predict like just knowing the characters, you could predict what they were going to say regardless. Right. They're they're not that complicated to to model and have changes occur to. Um. And they, they, later in the movie, they, they, they take advantage of this. They say, oh, anything that we will do has happened. So that means that we can steal my dad's keys and leave them here for me to find. Right. Because we know that his keys were stolen two days ago. And so we can take the keys and set them, set them aside and then pick up the keys. The, the, Bill, the Bill and Ted conceit seems to be a really interesting way to do it because to me, like, as they were saying that, I was just spotting logical fallacies every three words. But if you're dumb enough to not think of those logical fallacies, then it makes total sense. Like, it's a right. kind of brilliant way to think about it where if you just look at it on the surface level, it makes total sense, and so you never have to question it. Right. As soon as you're clever enough to figure to figure out that you can poison your own future, you probably can't live in a paradox-free world like this, right? right? Um, and so this, this deletes all paradoxes. It, 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 a paradox will never happen. Um, mm. From a narrative perspective, these are incredibly difficult to write you actually have to usually like start with a bunch of like planned events early on write the whole thing and then have your characters come back and redo it with their future knowledge and then like like delete and rewrite most of your plot like in multiple passes there's um there's a couple of books that uh by charles strauss iron sunrise and singularity sky that involve super intelligent ais that have time travel capability you know basically having a war against each other and you only see the end timeline and mm. he's like i i thought this is going to be a trilogy i'm not smart enough to write the third book i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> like i introduced a super intelligent ai in book one and a different evil one in book two and then there's consequences and i sorry i can't <laughs> i i'm not actually smart enough to write the third book because i can't figure it out because there's no paradoxes there can't be paradoxes in this universe it all already happened so to me, there's, um, a, there's a couple questions this raises, and, and we'll go into it in more detail in a bit, mm-hmm. but um, just to take the Bill and Ted thing, for example, one of the things that I thought was just raising so many paradoxes for me is not only do you have these two characters going back and changing things, but you are now giving fundamentally life-altering experiences to existing historical figures. And right. so is the idea that Napoleon has always gone to a water park named Waterloo, and maybe that's why he has positive associations and fights a battle there. I mean, is that is, is that the kind of thinking that that yes. goes into this? Okay, yeah, uh, that, that's that's the conceit of the Bill and Ted universe is that <laughs> is that all these historical figures had weird things happen to them. In fact, in this the second movie is much much looser about this, right? But their their conceit is that they they could pick up these figures and then drop them back off and they just tell them features great. Don't worry about it. And they also just lie to the historical figures, I assume. Yeah. Because if 
if uh, Abraham Lincoln says, so we had a civil war and you took me to San Dimas, California. That's super cool. So San Dimas with the north or with the south? And you go, I, see you later, Abraham yeah. Lincoln, right? <laughs> He's like, do, do, does the north win? Like, is are the Confederate States a functional nation afterwards? And you go, uh, you win. Does is that what makes him so so confident that the North will triumph? Yeah, right. I, if you tell if you tell Napoleon Waterloo is going to be a great time for you, then <laughs> Duke of Winchester. That sounds like a good concession stand. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and uh, also they treat Napoleon really badly. Um, yeah. Napoleon actually speaks six languages, including English. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. And so, like, their, their prestiges of historical characters are, in theory, once they pick up Napoleon, they can talk to anybody else that they pick up. Yeah. So, uh, just, like... I, I'm not sure he speaks Mongol, but yes, I generally agree with what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and also, Genghis Khan is the most successful human being in all of history, who also probably spoke multiple languages, but you don't have good yeah. documentation of all what what he knew. But... Uh, Genghis Khan is not some like loony idiot. He's yeah. it, like Genghis Khan is is a smart, tough warlord, right? Um, well, and it's interesting the way you're saying that because I th- I think then this introduces the reason we're talking about the different logical systems is that we can have a larger conversation about what makes sense and what doesn't. And I right. feel like one of the things that that becomes very important to me is that you're always thinking about. What are the consequences of, to, to, to quote the old idea, every flap of the butterfly's wings? Right. And, and I, I like your, your idea here of the, the predestination idea is that Napoleon has always gone to this water park. The Genghis Khan mm-hmm. has always beaten up the model. But then what you have to do is, and I think you kind of drew this out with Abraham Lincoln, you have to make sure that you're now not giving them an experience which makes the actual historical record of what the character did make no more sense. Right. Um the I, I want to before we go and go too deep into that, I want to talk about the third major type, which we finally have a really good example of in film go fairly it. recently. So there's forking histories. Mm-hmm. Any t- so it treats the, the universe as a quantum universe. Any quantum change creates a forking history, right? And if you go back in time, you can deflect that into a different path, and you can change history, and it makes a whole new universe. Your universe stays. You could go back to it if you need to, right. and this universe starts from that point. Um, Avengers Endgame makes use of this, where right. they're they're like, yeah, you don't change the timeline by going back in time. You make a different universe. The Infinity Stones, as long as they exist in the universe, make that universe real. Any other universe isn't real. Right. So it's the idea of like you can take something from another timeline, yep. um, but the, the, nothing that you do in the past will, will affect the future that you're in now. Yeah, and nothing will affect your history. Right, and you so you can borrow things from the past, but it will it can't ever change anything about what has already happened to you. Um, any events that already happened that that are in your experience path or in your experience cone can't be altered. That that's yeah. just the way that they are. But you could you can go back in time to borrow things, which also implies that you can go forward to borrow things as well. Right, um, which and- is something that they don't don't think about an Avengers Endgame. The question is, you know, why didn't they go to the future and pick up the Infinity Stones? Or why didn't they go to the far future and get a better list of when the Infinity Stones all were? Yeah. Right? Um, they have plenty of opportunities to get them, but they, they're they I mean, panicked and, not, like... Well, I think this is a basic, tra- a basic problem with any kind of time travel is it, it's the omnipotence problem. You know, time travel yeah. is so fundamentally powerful that once, you've, once you have created it, 
kind of like how in Star Trek, like they give them incredible powers and then most of the plots are based on some particular power breaking. So they don't have the easy thing to fix the plot. Right. Um, in Bill and Ted's, I thought it was funny that they just artificially with no logical explanation say that Bill and Ted are under time pressure. Because That's... the idea that they're under time pressure in a time machine makes no logical sense whatsoever. And right. if they're not, then they then they have the, I mean, theoretically, they could actually go spend 20 years studying history, becoming perfect historians, and then pass the test that way. But right. they just create this artificial plot device to take that off the table. They, they, they create this plot device that um, they actually hold to in the other in the third movie, but they don't hold to in the second, which is that as their time advances, the time they come from advances, that they can't ever, that they can't, they have a, that they have an, a track of their timeline and any mm. time that they take matches up to what happens in their timeline. Okay. That, that um, I guess kind of makes sense. And so they say, remember for every, every minute that passes on your watch, a minute passes in San Dimas mm-hmm. because as they advance forward, their time advances forward, which doesn't, they then, seconds later definitely disprove because they loop back on themselves right <laughs> but <laughs> that's the one thing that they that they do clumsily because they wanted them to meet meet themselves from a plot perspective right um the the other logical problem with almost all so with the with the full predestination is um humans are sloppy and clumsy and fuzzy about right. how we handle brains and thoughts and so the full predestination path Im- implies that the quantum universe doesn't exist. Right. Uh, because, like, nothing ever happens the same way twice. Right. It's this idea. Um, it, it totally ignores any of the butterfly ideas. You know, it's the idea right. that, like, and to me, there's also another question. I want to, in a minute, go back to, like, just a more general conversation about all of these. But specific to predestination, um, for me, from a theological standpoint, uh, when I hear that term, I think of it specifically in theological um, theological mm-hmm. terms because that's one of the most frequent uses of it. It's this idea that God has predestined everything that will happen, right. and then there's all these questions that come up of like, is there any such thing as a sin as, as a sinner, or like a good or bad person, if God has already decided who will be and who won't be sinners? You know, and there's this whole mm-hmm. school of theology that gets locked into like people just having these existential crises of, am I actually a good person or am I just trying to fake being, you know, all that stuff. And and granted, I think you can have the idea of predestination without any of that. But does, does the concept of predestination to some extent imply the existence of a pre, a pre, someone who has set that predestination, some, whether Uh, it is like a, a being or just a force in the universe, or is there some sort of agency at work here? Yeah, what it implies is the Copenhagen interpretation. I don't know how much of a physics geek you are. Not at all. So, um, in uh, as so, layman's term as possible, explain uh, that. So, so there's there's two there's two types of of views of the universe. There's the classical universe, which is Newton's universe, which is everything is set up. It's clockwork. Um, there is no there is no actual absolute randomness. Mm-hmm. Um, the the stars in their courses, the orbits of the planets don't have any any variation. Uh, the Copenhagen interpretation is that even down to the most fundamental level, everything is is knowable and understandable and is set. You can know exactly where and how fast an electron's going. Every piece of matter has you can have perfect knowledge about everything. Right. Right. Um, the, then there is the the quantum view of the universe, mm. which is that um, some things are 
weird. <laughs> uh, so it, 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 when I was talking about how nothing ever happens the same way twice, uh, Schrodinger's cat is the classic thought experiment for this on right. a macro level, right? Which is you can't actually tell if a radioisotope is going to decay during a period of time. It has a 50-50 chance to do so, and that's absolute. Mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not actually predictable classically. And so you, you can't... Um, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle says that if you measure the speed of an electron, you lose its position. Right. If you measure the position, you lose its speed. Uh, there's math and weirdness up there, but basically you can't get both sets of data at the same time. Measuring one changes the other. Right. And it changes it into something that you can't know. Uh, the universe is fundamentally quantum. Mm. Um, it, it's also fundamentally classical. It's both things at the same time. And it's totally fucking weird. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Uh, uh, because uh, have you heard of the double slit experiment? No. Okay. Uh, so uh, this, this is one of the coolest and strangest results in, in physics. Um, you have a photon of light. That's a discrete unit of energy, right? Mm -hmm. You can send one photon through a through a slit and it'll get def so you have a, a vertical slit and uh so when you when you look at say a slit and you have a light source above it you get a you get a spread out underneath it right mm -hmm. that and so you you have like a cone of light coming out of this this slit of light so you can send one photon at a time though it's possible to ship out one photon and um that'll go out and those will form a cone a, a probability distribution across the cone right right uh, that's that's simple, straightforward. That happens in any interpretation, in classical or a quantum interpretation. It's just like it moves a little bit. Or like you could predict it classically for any given one, um, but the in the quantum, it, it you can't predict it. But the double slit experiment, um, you take two slits and put them next to each other, and uh, light, if it's a wave, would interfere with itself, like sound waves interfere, right? Right. Or when you view two waves on the surface of a of a pond. Uh, if it's if it's a wave, that's the quantum interpretation. Instead of it being a particle, which is absolutely predictable, mm -hmm. waves will interfere with themselves. Right. So if you pass it through two slits, you should get interference patterns. Um, you do, but only when you observe it. Of course. <laughs> um, it's... I, I mean, it is... everything you're... See, I, 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 maybe that I'm not sciencey enough to understand... Um, everything you're saying seems to argue against any concept of a predestination universe. But I, I'm more asking about it, it, if we accept predestination, does that imply there has to be a, a, a destiner? It, 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 that implies that the – I mean it implies you probably can't know. It implies the universe was set in its course. It's the, the – the, you could make the theist argument that there, that whatever set it in motion we can't know or understand. Right. Something set it in motion could be – it doesn't necessarily need to be a – it doesn't necessarily need to be an omniscient or an omnipotent god. Right. Right? It's Yeah, so something... it could be a force, it could be a group, right. it could be anything, you know. Right. It could be it could be a, a mathematical, you know, argument. It, it could be it, like it, anything that's outside the bounds of the universe. The universe is a closed system. Knowing anything outside of that closed system is fundamentally unknowable. So right. whatever. Just get, give up. Like you can't know it. You can't test it, you can't measure it. It it is a anything that you can say about the universe can be asserted without evidence, so it can be dismissed without evidence, right? Right. And so it's it's possible to have time travel and predestination that's based on the the universe as a clockwork mechanism without mm -hmm. any implication about a a, a clockmaker, yeah, right. Without a clockmaker, uh, and so that 
it's very possible to use to say well in a predestination universe in a universe where everything happened already right um that there has to be something that set it in motion and said this is the absolute shape of it yeah and it, I, I think that's a really interesting I way to phrase it read, oh sorry go ahead have i read stories like that i'm thinking if there's a most science fiction stories end up at at most religious agnostic right like sometimes they have they have like they, they don't they don't try to address the problem of an omnipotent or an omniscient god unless they're specifically going out to talk about religion right, right? and then they're usually allegorical in some way right yeah and I, I think that i think i'm more bring it up because i think it's an interesting thing that science fiction I think in part because it is on some level a fundamentally – the question of who has created this thing that is to be destined is itself mm -hmm. a theological question. And for obvious reasons, I think as you just said, science fiction generally doesn't you know, dive into that unless it wants to very specifically. Um, yep. But I, I ask it because I do think that a lot of times the way we talk about it and the way even characters will talk about it, it becomes very interesting, especially when yeah. – we'll get to this more in the morality questions, but one – once you're starting to to get into the question of, is this timeline right? And I don't mean right in terms of like what originally happened, but is it like morally correct or should it be better? Then a lot of times I think part of what that gets into is who decided that this is all should be how it is, you know? And all the questions of like, well, but this is uh, this is the whole time cop time cop question. Yep. Once you have someone saying what time is is what it should be, the next question is, well, why? You know? And yeah. and is there some – it often feels like the argument of a time cop assumes that there is some intelligence, and maybe it's just the intelligence of a clock without a clockmaker, but that there's some sort of fundamental rightness about time playing out the way it did with it, without interference. I guess that, that's right. maybe why the question is so interesting to me. Right. And a lot of the time, the time cops – so, like, there, there's a movie time cop, obviously. I think that the first real example of time police is probably Time Patrol by Paul Anderson. Mm. I could look and see if there was there was an earlier example. But he wrote uh, several works based on a, a time patrol that goes back and fixes problems. People from the future get access to time machines and go back, and the time patrol goes back and fixes their crap, basically. Right. Takes it away because they were illegally operating it. Yeah. But the, their, their moral basis is fundamentally – you can't change anything that would delete the existence of the time cops. They are a self, like, mm, okay. And and anything that would change the history to the point where the time cops don't exist, they don't allow. Uh, that's it. They're like, for for the most part, like small changes back in history. You go back and you kidnap a peasant in the year thirteen twelve. Uh, in most time cop driven universes, time is time is elastic enough to absorb small changes. Right. Um. But the the time cops morally, the only thing they care about is keeping their own their own history secure for the most part. Right. Um, and then they they of course have moral quandaries where somebody's like, well, why don't you go kill Hitler? And yeah. they're like, we we genuinely don't know what would happen if we kill Hitler in 1929. Right. right. The episode of superhero ethics that will come out is not yet published, but will come out immediately before this one. One of the things we talked about is I think actually very relevant to this because it's the whole idea of the difference between one evil person versus an evil system. And Hitler, mm -hmm. to me, is a great example. Like, a lot of time travel is based on you go back in time, you kill Hitler, everything's better now. Which ignores the fact that, like, the Nazi party just puts Himmler in place, you know, or whatever it is. Right. Um, the, there's there's all sorts of, actually, there's t places where killing Hitler would make time worse. Right. right? Uh, like, if you killed Hitler in between his rise to power and the um, and when he decided to irrationally attack the USSR, 
time gets real weird, yeah, right? Maybe Germany wins that war, or maybe just he becomes a martyr and the neo-Nazi movement in Germany is much stronger now, or whatever it is. Right. Um, and Good. And, and so the, the thing with time cops is that, like, if you actually sit down and think about them, they're morally null in a lot of cases. They're mm. just like, all I'm doing is protecting my own existence. They're... They are they're the same as using lethal force to defend yourself against a lethal attacker in a lot right. of circumstances. They're just like, yes, this is this is fine. This is this is morally acceptable in basically most moral codes of the world. Right. Um, I, think, and... I think that's the conceit often. But I certainly think you do get stories where part of the point of the story is that the time cops are not accounting. They think they're being morally null, but they're not mm-hmm. accounting for their own bias in some way right. or another. And they they also this gets brought up. In a bunch of them, one of the best, uh, basically, time police kind of stories is The End of Eternity by Isaac Asimov, mm. where he he has this fundamental question that he never he never comes out and asks, but he has the, the main character wrestle with the implications of, which is, if you can change history and you can improve it, are you obligated to do so? Mm. Yeah, um, that's a because, really important question. Because they're... they're, fu- they're their time control group has this span of time that they cover and they're like a lot of the time they make decisions just so that it's easier for them to manage the timeline right and they don't they fundamentally don't care if you know an extra million people die here or there because if you know if it makes it easier for them to not have to deal with whatever result happens another millennia down the line yeah they'll make the choice that makes it more stable and easier for them to deal with so that's a great morality question, and we'll get to that. I want to just step back, though. You did a great job of laying out the three logical systems, and, and I think this is a great time to start discussing the logical problems. Because I think for myself and many people, this is where time travel becomes a hard thing to, to watch is when it feels logically inconsistent. And mm-hmm. the way you framed it I think is very helpful, and tell me if you would agree with this. It feels to me like a lot of times when time travel becomes logically problematic – you know, in the sort of superhero world of we accept the general conceit, even though the general conceit doesn't make any yep. sense. You know, but the arc reactor is real. Aquaman exists. Now let's go into the logic. Um, it feels like a lot of times bad time travel is where the writers are getting mixed up the single changeable timeline mm-hmm. and full predestination because they're right. to some extent having all these time loops possible, but also allowing people to change the time loops. Uh, is that, a, you think, a fair description? Yeah. That's where the where the writers didn't sit down and have a full concept of what the implications of whatever system are. Right. Exactly. And so um, you talked about Umbrella Academy. I just finished the, the last two episodes of Umbrella Academy yesterday. Mm. And uh, Umbrella Academy is not designed to have a good plot. Yeah. I think it's very important. Um, even without time travel, even if you took all the time travel episodes and deleted them, Umbrella Academy is a bunch of idiot characters acting in dumb ways that are true to themselves. Yeah. Which is why I, I like it. It's, it's it's a very community kind of thing where, you know, you can be an idiot as long as you're true to your character and I don't care. Yeah, to me it's much uh, more but, about the psychological effects of being raised to be superheroes. Like that's right. that's what it cares about. Right. They do a lot of what is called rule of cool, which is if it's neat that they should be able to do it, they do it. Mm. Uh, the the powers of the different characters mutate and change right. over time. So they they have different capabilities at different times. It's not it's not set out to where you know they always can do this thing. They always can do that thing. Um, they have a general like like um, Klaus deals with the dead, 
what does that mean in any given circumstance? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it means what's – I think that rule of cool makes total sense. And so they, they – that leads to the sloppy time travel where some stuff is predestined, some stuff isn't predestined. Um, time loops snip out pieces of history and change the future without um, without real regard for stuff. The viewpoints of the characters are special. Right. Um, and so those the, – the, the characters of – whoever is time traveling are a, a special viewpoint and that special viewpoint the the time will change around them but they'll remain constant right, right? and that that inherent specialness of their viewpoint um doesn't work very well plot wise in umbrella academy because it's handled really clumsily right i and that's it, it because they talk about, you know, you need to do this so that this happens, so that this other thing happens. They have bits where they have, um, where they go, like, uh, how spoilery are we allowed to, to be in this? Can we spoil everything for Umbrella yeah, Academy? Yeah, I, I think I would just say now, this podcast can spoil everything from Umbrella Academy, everything from Star Trek, pretty much, uh, but especially the, the episode um, City, on City. The, City on the Edge yeah. of Forever, um, but also a lot of the movies and stuff like that. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so... That, Star Trek, all okay. the Back to the Future movies, all the Avenger movies, we're, we're generally spoiling those things. Yeah. Uh, so there's a there's a bit where they open – there's an initial time portal that opens very early in the show. When near the end of season two, they open that time portal, that exact same one. And something comes through from the past of the show, and uh, uh, a fire extinguisher that gets thrown early in the show comes through as a payoff, plot-wise, and it hits another character. Right. Which tells you this is the same portal. But they've given information to a character they're going to send through the portal that that character didn't have. They talked a big game about you can't kill him because then the other guy would cease to exist who's 14 days older. So you must kill the newer one if you're going to kill one of the two, right? Right. And I'm like, that doesn't track at all. Yeah. (laughs) Once you show up and talk to him, you've screwed up your future, right? Well, and we'll say I did like – a lot of the time travel in Umbrella Academy does drive me batty, and, and hearing sort of the time travel expert that I'm now anointing you uh, for, you know, because you've read a lot about yeah. it, um, you know, agree with that does help me a lot. Um, but I do think that one of the things that I, I like about Umbrella Academy is it really gets to the idea that anybody having an objective understanding of time travel logic or morality is wrong. Like, the, mm-hmm. you know, the time cops who are presented to us as sort of being, you know, that that what you said, no morality, it turns out have just as much of an agenda as anyone else, you know? Yes. Um, and that everyone's the, the – when the two fives are arguing about what is, you know, the right thing to do for the timeline, mm-hmm. it's Marcus neither one of them wants to die, but also because they're having the psychosis set in, you know? And it's right. – um, I at least appreciate that for sure. Right. And so the, the thing with Umbrella Academy is that, like, there's all sorts of implications they don't go into mm-hmm. with the way that they're – their universe is set up they have this commission that at its time to be the way that they want it to be which has to be the way the commission comes to exist right right like if 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 you argue that there's any kind of paradox in their in their universe all they're doing is controlling their own initial existence and making sure that it happens right um but that implies that somebody else is trying to alter it that other people are changing the timeline because it doesn't just happen on its own right they aren't trying to bonsai a new timeline to do a particular thing. They tell them this is the thing that must happen. This is what happens. And mm-hmm. it's always happened. But then about midway through, you find out that that's not the case, and they have no idea what they're talking about, yeah. and none of them remember <laughs> history at all. Oh, 
John F. Kennedy got killed? That didn't happen. And I'm like, point of order. You're talking to somebody who knows for sure JFK got killed. Right. Right? Well, and and, and uh, I think the JFK assassination moment in Umbrella Academy is a perfect example of this because one of the things I think that always drives me the most crazy about this is when it's some quant- when when some consequences matter and some don't, specifically mm-hmm. for plot reasons, your own brain starts to think, well, wait a minute, why 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 is that true? You know, and, and so for example, in the version of history that we saw, yes, there was no actual attempt to assassinate JFK. Instead, the police building that was like close to the route was blown up and all the police who were killed, who were, by the way, investigating what they thought of as a communist spy. Wouldn't that also create the like... The building didn't get blown up. Just everyone inside died. Okay. If the building gets blown up, then they start a nuclear war. They had to save the building from being blown up. Right. They just had to kill everyone inside. I don't... Right. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, why would... kills a whole building full of FBI agents and you don't... While while investigating a Russian spy, wouldn't that create just as much of the the Russians are behind this kind of thing? Yeah. Right. It it would, but the... We were 10 minutes from midnight multiple times in the 1960s. Yeah. When I was sitting down to watch it and my wife goes, 1962, what's so bad about 1962? And I'm like, the Cuban Missile Crisis? Yeah. Like, that's going to end the – they have a dozen ways to end the world that year. It's not that hard. Right. right? Um, and so they're – Well, yeah, I think in part what we're getting at here is that there's kind of two different levels of logical questions. One mm-hmm. is the logic of the actual time travel itself and, like, timelines. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is the logic of – can you go back and and do something and then be able to predict the, re- the results that Wheeler won't have? And in right. some ways, almost the second one is even more logically inconsistent in, in my mind many times. Right. The, the, the predictability. So the, the one of the, the classic time travel stories that everybody refers to, and you've referred to it multiple times, and you probably don't even necessarily know. I don't know if you've even read it. It's A Sound of Thunder by Ray Bradbury. Mm, never heard of it. Uh, the phrase the butterfly effect comes specifically from a sound of thunder oh interesting okay and so it is uh they're they're going back and they're doing hunting trips to the paleolithic and they're they're hunting a tyrannosaurus rex and they have hover platforms that stay off the ground and they get warned don't touch or impact anything except the t-rex that you are going to kill you have a specific time to kill it it was going to be hit by a falling tree 10 seconds after you're due to kill it um so you won't really impact anything it was going to die in the next 10 seconds anyways but you get to say you shot a t-rex right and so they head back to the safari a person steps off of the hover path and steps on a butterfly Mm. and when they go back to the future the language has shifted a little bit like the vowel sounds are different and a different person is winning the presidential race interesting so a tiny change caused a small change but still an an important significant one Right, and but a fundamentally unpredictable one. Yeah. Um, and so they were like, oh, no. And they were thinking, like, can we go back and fix that? We can't undo that, right? right? Um, and so that's the, the phrase, the butterfly effect, comes specifically from A Sound of Thunder by Ray Bradbury. Right. And it, 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 a lot of science fiction authors agree with you that fundamentally, once you poke the system, you don't right. know what's going to come out. Everything's too complex. And there's... Um, there's this there's a bunch of uh, mugwump five i think is a good one mm. by murray leisner uh they talk about changing the timeline they have they have like levels of perturbation like they change one letter in a phone book and that changes 
um, the path of the U.S. from an Orwayan nuclear war, mm. right? And so that's a like a how large of an impact can you create from how small of a change? Right. Is there is the is the the conceit of that story and, where there's think, outside of time aliens playing with things? And I think part of what you're actually helping me uh, also come to terms with is come to terms with something far too significant. I mean, like better understand. <laughs> I think the kind of time travel I like least, and Umbrella Academy falls into this, and probably why I had such strong feelings about it, is where it is time travel of our heroes have either accidentally or intentionally gone back, but they have done something they did not mean to do, and now everything they're trying to do is an attempt to fix that first mistake, to, to unkill that first butterfly. To, right. In the terms you're talking about. It. And that's right. where it just feels like the, log- the logical fallacies just compound upon each other more and more and more. They do, but that's what I'm talking about is that the the stories are usually ones of regret and undoing mistakes, right? right. Because even with the time travel, they knew about a mistake, they tried to fix it, and they failed to fix the mistake. Mm. You can tell these as a straightforward story, you know, uh, a boy and girl get together, boy and girl spend some time together, um, a boy does something stupid, loses girl, uh, realizes that he could that he should make up, goes to make up with a girl and makes it worse, right? right? That's the same story, right? Just with the extra time travel nonsense added in. Yeah. Um, what? And it, so th- that's what I mean is that most of the stories are, are stories of regret and trying to correct mistakes and failure. Mm, yeah, I think it's very true. And, and I think another thing that, that comes up for me about this is I, I kind of wish we would get more stories that are purely the, the, the full predestination. But I think the problem is if you tell us that that's the time travel universe we're working in, then there's absolutely no tension. You know, right. if well, if Rufus starts Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure by saying, don't worry about it, what I'm going to do to get them to do the things that they're going to do, to get the teacher to do the thing that he's going to do, to get the father to do the thing, all that's already been decided. So there's no consequence or stakes to anything you're about to see. Now, like, for that movie to make, I mean, mostly it's just a bunch of dumb jokes, but for there to be any tension in the movie, you have to believe there's a possibility that it doesn't work out. And, and if I'm right. understanding you correctly... In, that is actually a false understanding by the characters and thus the audience because yep. the movie is actually saying nothing you're about to see is in any way up to, that it's basically Candyland. Everything has been right. predetermined. There's no yes. tension whatsoever. The the way that's, that um, I've seen this avoided most elegantly, because uh, it, 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 like, that is a problem with predestination. Uh, it can be avoided by having two character, two types of characters that you care about. Um, so have you've seen the Doctor Who episode Blink? I have not. Oh, it might be the best episode of the new Who. Okay. It, it only has a couple of conceivable contenders. I, I, or I may well have seen it but forgotten it. So give a 20-second explanation. Uh, it, it, the brief explanation is that there are these um, – the, the show almost does not have the Doctor in it at all. It follows a character that it deliberately makes you attached to. Um, she is getting messages. Well, one message from the Doctor. Hmm. Um, she is watching a recorded video in Oh, yes, I think I did see this one. And um, it demonstrates, like, all of her decisions have been pre-made to the point where she reads a script. To, or, like, it, 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 he has a scripted side of the conversation. She has a conversation, and he's a video recording. And they have a conversation, right? right? And it demonstrates this predestination version of time travel very, very well. And you realize the Doctor is guaranteed to survive this at the end. Yeah. There's no tension for him. He, everything's going to work out for him, and you know it is. Right. But everything might not work out for her. Mm, and so thus making us care so much more about her matters so much more. Right. Because once she, like, 
after she pays it pays it off and sends this time machine back to him in the past because the the villains are these angels that when they touch you they eat your history and send you into the past and and so the one of her friends gets sent back to the year 19 in 1912 right or right. whatever uh, and then um so you realize after she pays off the time machine they're surrounded by these angels and it's possible that they could just get just get screwed mm -hmm. right by the doctor at the end of it and there's all these circumstances where she could get screwed and the other like the all the characters could lose but the notes get found by somebody else and sent back you don't know oh right? i like that yeah and so like fundamentally there's this tension of she's being threatened by the angels and because they send people back in time they could actually send her back in time and then she sends another note forward to the doctor who's in between yeah <laughs> and so like there's there's possibilities that her life could end up hosed she's not going to die the angels don't kill you mm -hmm. and so the tension is based basically she's going to lose her life her all the, the trappings of the world around her are they are they going to get torn away from her, her family her friends right right but doctor who is a an example of the time travel doesn't make any sense is horrifically inconsistent and it doesn't matter because the time travel is a vehicle for other right. plots and i think that becomes one of the key things is um in when i there's an extent to which and this is true i think for any kind of like pseudoscience or pseudo magic or things like that the more i care about it is the more that the writers care about it so right. in back to the future it is not a serious movie. It is a comedy. It is ridiculous. It is mm -hmm. meant to be silly. And so I'm happy to be like, who the hell cares what the flux capacitor does? Let's go watch, you know, them, you know, play B.B. King 20 years before anyone's ever heard of it. Love that. Uh, I'm sorry, Chuck Berry, not B.B. King. Um, well, they, there, there's problems with the Chuck Berry scene. Well, but... sure. But yeah. But <laughs> um, oh, yeah, actually, because it does is another uh, time loop of this is why Chuck Berry learns to play because a white kid teaches him, which is another huge problem. But um... <laughs> You, you figured out my problem with it. Yeah. Which is that white dudes don't teach black dudes to play soul music. Yeah. Not... God, I have this horrible image now of someone writing a story where Vanilla Ice goes back in time to invent rap or something horrible like that. Really racist. Well, it, it, but, it, but it, it, like, it, it, it isn't... Whatever. We... Yeah. But, but my point being that I feel like the less you ask me to care about it... Same with Quantum Leap. You know, Quantum Leap, it's great stories. It's, it's fantab fantastic acting. Um, and, and who, and it's all small little stories, but the mm -hmm. more that you at, like in Umbrella Academy, the characters are trying to, in Umbrella Academy and in Endgame, the characters are trying to decide what does or doesn't make sense for time travel. So I feel like now mm -hmm. you've asked me to care about it and that's what I'm going to have. Right. And that's why I think Endgame passes the bar, but Umbrella Academy doesn't because you've set the bar so much higher. Right. Um, and, and part of what I think this is also getting at is that of the three methods you talk about, I think predestination, if any of them make sense, predestination makes the most logical sense because there's now, as you said, there's no possibility of paradox. It's right. also narratively the most boring, as we just yes. talked about. And so uh, as time travel writers, the fundamental, like your own paradox is how do you keep it logically consistent when, you know, every step towards logical consistency probably makes it a more boring story. And every step away from logical consistency gives the characters more agency and thus makes it right. a more interesting story. Because that's the thing, is agency, right? Right. If the characters don't have any choices, then, like you said, there, there's no consequences to anything. Um, you, you know that at the end of the the movie, they all die, right? right? It, it doesn't matter. It's just, a, it, it, like, I mean, fundamentally, everybody dies at the end of life. Right. But, um, you know that, you know, the payoff at the end of the movie, You it, it, they, they show you the final scene. And in the final scene, they're all corpses on the floor. And you're like, well... 
I guess it might be interesting how we get there, mm-hmm. right? If you if you knew the end of Reservoir Dogs at the beginning of Reservoir Dogs, it actually would probably make Reservoir Dogs a better movie. I don't know. That's weird. I mean, this, Reservoir, I, I think Reservoir like, Dogs is definitely one where it it works better the second time for exactly the reason you're right. talking about. Yeah, right. That's sorry. I got. I was like, well, Reservoir Dogs is one where everybody dies. Let's use that as an example. Wait, <laughs> that was better the second. Dang yeah. it. Okay, but like. So then you're worried about how you get to that point, right? Which is the other the other way to really lean on time travel is have somebody see an outcome, right? And then what, like basically get involved with the things that inf- unfold to that outcome point, which is how, which is the eventual payoff in Umbrella Academy, which is the assassination of Kennedy happens, and they're all involved, right? Mm-hmm. In some way, the, the except for the fact that then they screw themselves by becoming, by becoming, you know public enemy number one in the year 1963 right but they a lot of the times a character will be like well i don't know why it let had to lead to this consequence and then they ride along and they realize that their decisions don't actually matter right. or they make the decisions and it like lines everything up anyways and you realize that at the end you're like well i guess everything was irrelevant and that can be a powerful right. story of like the lack of agency but i think you right. as the writer have to know that you have to help the audience come to terms with it at the same time the characters are coming to terms with it Right, and it's easier in smaller, in smaller stories. Mm-hmm. So there aren't a lot of big long epics that involve time travel a lot. Yeah, right. Because just the further you go along, the more those little things, comp- you know, they grow comprehensively. Uh, not they, they compound right. is what I'm looking for. They, it, right, they they compound and they get worse and worse. And um, prophecy has the advantage of being muddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like if, if you if you're reading a book where where prophecies happen. Um, the Sybil gives you an accurate prophecy and you know that it, that the future will will have this thing come to terms, but they they it's deliberately slightly vague, right? You know, um, your son will kill you and marry your wife right. or marry his mother, right? Uh, and so you know that this prophecy will happen, but it's very deliberately vague about, you know, exactly how this comes to pass. And so whatever actions you take eventually loop back to that point. Right. Uh, which that that's fundamentally a precognition story, mm, yeah. Um, and that works much better in longer in longer novels or longer works. Yeah. Uh, the like the Wheel of Time so a series by uh, Robert Jordan and then Brandon Sanderson. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of prophecies fairly early on. Like in the first three books, um, there's there's a point where somebody asks questions of what amounts to a sibyl. They get a whole pile of prophecies, including stuff that they j- just genuinely don't understand. They're like, you're going to meet somebody from this nation. They're going to be their, this nation's queen, and you're going to marry that person. And they're like, I've never heard of this nation at all. And so the author is actually pretty free to do whatever, mm-hmm. right? As long as as long as they they bend the plot to this one particular point, which could be a faked up point of like, look, we need to be we need to be married for this legal reason, but then you know we're gonna part ways and never see each other again, right? It could be anything, and so prophecy prophecy is easier to do as a longer longer term thing, and it doesn't lead to as many moral issues, right? Right, and so like the there's so many. If you can change history, and this is the question that I asked earlier, if you can edit history, are you obligated to make history better? Yeah, so I think this is a good time to move into the, the moral questions. Um, yeah. So I, I think that – and let's start with that one. Like what, what's your take on, you know, if if you have the ability to, to change history to make it better, should you? So leaving history the same has to be morally null, right? Because it's right. protecting your own existence, which is always considered to be an acceptable moral thing to do. 
I, I would disagree with that, but I, I see, I'll accept that for the sake of your argument. So go ahead. In, in, mo- in most morals, in most moral viewpoints, existing is neutral. Right. Um, and so you don't have to. I, I, I am not obligated to go donate all my water, all my money to water charities in Africa. It would be a net positive thing for me to do, right? Well, to, for more people, it, it, but. I'm not obligated to do so. I could just keep my own existence fine on a neutral keel. Let, let me. I think this actually this gets yeah. into a great question of one of the show the shows we talked about. So I, I'd actually let it let us actually talk about this for a minute more, and then let you finish the point you're talking yeah. about. Because I wonder what if part of the time travel is that the when when it's the character who learns that their survival actually caused the problem. So for example, in um uh, Brit, uh City at the Edge of Forever in Star Trek, yeah. Um, well, the, the, the main – for those who haven't seen that show or episode or haven't seen it in a long time, the crux of the story is that there's this uh, really good sort of social worker type person who lives in New York that um, it, it, in the, the way history originally played out, that she dies in 1930. And, and so Dr. McCoy winds up going back in time and we later find out he saved her from the car crash that killed her. The mm-hmm. problem is that if she lives – she goes back she can goes on to start a huge pacifist movement which makes it even harder for fdr to get the united states into world war 2 and germany invents the atom bomb first and so germany wins world war 2 now the moral question there is and we'll get to this one the other characters do they or don't they save her life but what if she finds this out because i this is when i would sort of push back because i would say if she knows that if she works to continue her life she will likely cause this horrible thing to happen. Um, and maybe she could change her actions and not be a pacifist. But, but, but if you just take that part of the conceit, isn't that then a case where actually there is a moral question of your survival yeah. may not be morally null? Right. Um, if you, if, so you can remove time travel from the equation, right? You can, you can make it a, um, you can make it a, a dynastic issue with royalty for instance right um i i am a prince um if i commit suicide then it removes my son who is a, a real right bastard and wants to kill a bunch of people from the line because the rules are if somebody commits suicide their whole their whole line is removed from succession right right um and it would switch it over to to the other side of the family and the other side of the family has you know a, a whole bunch of like excellent people who would be really great rulers so I know that morally, uh, I need to remove my my line from succession, and the the most straightforward way for me to do that is to openly commit suicide or commit treason or right. something like that, right? To make it to do a what is uh, suicide in many moral systems is morally bad, right? right? I mean, in Endgame, uh, both Natasha and Tony Stark basically do the kind of thing you're talking about. They kill yes. themselves for a larger purpose, right? Exactly, and they, but they but you can you could like they don't. They they are doing it actively as part of a like trading their life for a thing like this is this is just like a I just hang myself in a closet kind of thing right, right? which is I would argue that that suicide is generally morally bad um so that'll be another ethical issue I disagree with you there but I totally get it so to get back to your original point yeah, yeah. to to my original point you can you can remove time travel from the equation you can write plots that don't that don't involve this at all um. So then the question is whether or not that, uh, like, committing suicide is good or bad. Mm-hmm. And the thing that time travel changes, the one thing it changes, is so in City and the Edge of Forever, it's it's Spock acts kind of emotional about the whole situation a little bit, yeah. which is weird. 
Edith Keeler's been dead for four centuries. Hmm. Right? Right. Are, yeah, so he should just sort of logically understand it that this was this isn't a tragedy we're seeing that because in some ways, Kirk and McCoy they have that lot that I now have a human connection to this person and so now their death matters more to me than it right. would have if this was just a historical footnote. Spock right. should be it, able to say my connection to a person doesn't make their death any more or less morally significant, but he doesn't in some ways. Right, and so like this happens in the real world too when you watch Hamilton and you know. It, you know, any of the major characters in Hamilton die. That is like it's structured to make you feel it, mm-hmm. right? And so when when Hamilton dies in Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton has been dead for two hundred and some odd years, right? Right. And um, so like realistically, why should I care about Alexander Alexander Hamilton dying? Why should I care about any of that? Right. right. It's a historical drama. I shouldn't I shouldn't get all weepy at at his at his death songs, but we're humans and we make this human connection to this thing. Right. Right. Um, and so it makes sense from a, that the, that the emotional center of the show McCoy and the decider section of this, this show Kirk. Uh, Kirk should get all, it should get moral or should get emotionally invested in the situation. Right. Um, Spock should just say, dudes, like she's been dead for multiple centuries. Yeah. Like she, she's a, she's a figure in a book guys. Right. C- can we go? <laughs> well, and I think to get back though to the the main kind of question we were talking about, uh, that that I think sitting on the edge of forever is such a great example of. Mm-hmm. Like here, this seems to be an example of you go back and you you don't change history, you you undo the change that you did to history, yep. in order that you know a small tragedy can happen so that a, a ginormously different, much larger tragedy doesn't happen. Um, and and in I think to me the main moral question here is. Because you're right. Like, the question is, like, should you do that if you can? The problem is, I feel like that this is kind of Godwin's law in action. Because the problem I have is, who gets to decide what the right history should be? And and, it, and once you get yeah. Nazis involved, yeah, Godwin's law, it's pretty easy for us to say, like, Nazi bad. But, mo- you know, what if this was about, like, communist China? You know, like, communist China, like, should they or shouldn't they have won the Chinese Civil War? Mao did horrible, horrible, horrible things. But yep, the Great Leap Forward is one of the biggest mass murders in history, right? Like, right. <laughs> but would Chiang Kai-shek have been any better? Like, or what? Right. You know, where is China now compared to what it was a hundred years ago or eighty years ago? Like, so, so I guess that—that's to me that—that's my counter to the to this question of if if we're going to say that there's some morality to going back in time to fix history, doesn't that bring up the problem of who gets to decide what what is the best version of history? Right, exactly. Like the, the the question that always gets asked is, you know, let, let's pretend that um, you find out that despite everything terrible that happens in World War II, the next generation of leaders after the Nazis realize how bad it was, turn everything around, and turn the world into a utopia by the by the year twenty twenty. Right. Right. Like what? <laughs> now, where's your trade off? Yeah. It, like. What level of good and what level of bad do you balance? Or if you're purely utilitarian about it, you'll you'll make lots of these. Like, what I should probably do is say, go back to the first per- the first group of hominids that count as human, and then start building a good society from them, yeah. right? And that is the the most history altering that you can do for the greater good, right? Right. Because that deletes a trillion people. 
I think it's um, an interesting question as well because – and this is where I think the subjective part comes in. A lot of times it's I want to stop the great, the great evil that I don't think I benefit from and that I also um, feel like, like I can see as an objective evil. So, for example, mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and kill – I'm going to go back and kill Hitler. Great. But in pure numeric terms, you probably save as many lives if not more if you go back and kill Christopher Columbus. Or, you know, and, in some other way, stop or, colonialism. But Or or you go back in time and you give Semmelweis the actual underpinnings of the germ theory of disease. Right. Like, holy cow. It, like, if, if Semmelweis could have proved his case to the world, then you would you would probably save on the order of 10 billion people's lives, right? right? Like, <laughs> the... The... It's it's really difficult and big at the end because your your pivots are so large, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then, are you responsible to all the people that this uncreates, um, which is the the forking histories um, issue? If you create a whole universe by going back and and making a forking history, are you responsible for the bad things that happen in that universe too? Yeah, I think I think, and, and amazing, it all comes down to consequences. You know what? Yep. What's the morality of your consequences and? Yeah, are you a consequentialist? Right. Like, do you do, do you believe that that um, all outcomes from your decision are within your cone of consequences? Right. Right. So, uh, that it that that leads to all sorts of problems with time travel because you get to the other thing that time travel does is a plot is it lets you see long term results of your actions. Right. And it it lets you see. Well, I went back in time and I killed Hitler. And it turns out that historical inevitability wins the day, and it was just Himmler in charge instead. And he was less irrational, and he didn't attack the USSR, and it made things a lot worse, yeah. right? Uh, the, the war took an extra five years, and you know we dropped nukes on you know half of Europe. Um, yeah, and, and I yeah. think I think the the point of consequence becomes so important because it also makes me realize I think one of the things that will change how I feel about the morality of. Um, time travel is if you make me believe that the that the people somehow know every possible consequence you know and in um umbrella academy they kind of imply this but never actually it doesn't actually seem to happen but but i think there's certainly other time travel stories where the time cops or whoever the person who at the end is making the decision about what time should or shouldn't be changed has some ability to know the effect of every butterfly you know and Mm -hmm. so they can say like yes you can go back and kill this person but if you go back and do this thing, then this terrible result will happen. Yeah. But what – I mean the existence of that is pretty hard to surmise. And if it doesn't exist, then I think because we have no idea what the consequences are, it becomes much harder morally to justify. Mm-hmm. It becomes super muddy. Yeah. And the, the – the greater good arguments end up getting into weird places in some of these these shows. Um, so Travelers is a is a really good time travel show, right? And uh, have you seen Travelers? I have not. Okay. The, the the high level thing is that time travel is is actually um, a discrete one directional data sense. Uh, so the, a traveler is is basically quantum leaped into a person's body, erases the person that's there, and is replaced with their personality, and that's one and done. Mm-hmm. They can never go back. Um, and they, the other thing is that underdeveloped brains, the supercomputer in the future can send messages via children's brains. Right. 
uh, because their brains aren't developed enough for and so they can they can it can very temporarily take over the child give a short message and then let the child loose so that a traveler will be sent back and they send back a team that is a specific set of skills which is actually like really sensible and makes the show work right, right? and the the team is told your mission is to do this set of objectives that's sent to you by the supercomputer in the future. The supercomputer's objective is to undo this big giant catastrophe, an asteroid striking the Earth. Mm, okay. And all the—that's all the machine, the computer wants to do. It'll end up deleting its own existence. It morally believes that this is correct. It saves an unbelievable number of lives, and it's a—it's a tragedy that isn't caused by people. And so it's not a big moral quandary on you know, d- you know, do you. Do you, you know, right. in nineteen, in nineteen twenty-seven, do you preemptively invade Germany? Right. Right. The, the, there, there's there's no yeah. political side in favor of the asteroid. You're not you're not right. taking sides in history. Right. In fact, it's pretty clear. An asteroid striking the Earth is bad. If you can prevent it, you probably should. Right. Great. It's an impersonal tragedy. Um. And the thing that happens in Travelers is they find out that their actions screw like out on their way to to saving the world from this asteroid um, subtly screw up the the small group of survivors that are in the future. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting and, one. And that's one of the side plot things that happens is they find out that like um, they and they they start getting people back from the future that remember a different future from them. Right. And so they're like, well, we're making some of these things quantitative, quantitatively worse. But we're going to delete everything that leads to our existence for the most part. Hmm. Like, like they morally, they're like, well, we care a little bit, but not actually as much as you might think, because the the end goal is to delete like two hundred years of history, right? Right. And so they, um, but they have this this structural problem of the show, like, it needs an antagonist. Yeah. <laughs> And so they have a different traveler that you know abandoned the whole traveler agenda and has decided to set him up as em- set himself up as emperor of the world. Interesting, basically. Uh, but the the show is is really good. Yeah, it, it's not, but, it's one I've heard good things about before, and, and and this concept of time travel is one I think I'd really be enjoy seeing. Um, right, especially because it, it seems like this is going for a much broader picture than you often get. Um, yeah, I think, and this is kind of maybe my last sort of big problem with time travel is. And this is a problem I have with a lot of superhero media and stuff like that, is it buys into, you know, what I'll often refer to, the, 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 the mirror of the great man of history, you know, conceit, which mm-hmm. is already kind of problematic, but now it's the, the great villain of history. And um, right. we, we talked about this last week, but just to bring you into that conversation, have you seen Legend of Korra, Avatar Legend of Korra? No, I have not. So um, mild spoilers for that. Are you planning to see it at some point? It, it, spoil away. Okay. Um, one of the things that the show, I think, does a great job of addressing is in season two – um, or sorry, um, in one of the seasons, um, our, our villain who wants chaos kills a clearly evil, terrible, dictatorial ruler of one of the main countries. Um, and it seems you're like, kind of like, well, I don't like this bad guy, but I'm kind of rooting for him that he did that. The problem is now, uh, by the next season, that country has devolved into utter and total chaos. And because, you know, and so now there's and this, a million people starved to death. Yeah. And, and, and now there's like 10 warlords who are all fighting and another warlord comes out. And, and so it's all part of the unintended consequences. But it's also this idea of like the problem wasn't one monarch. The problem was that the people had so baked into their concept, the idea of monarchy and wanting strong rule 
that it was always going to kind of default in that direction. And, right. and I think that's often the, like, you know, you go back and kill Hitler, you still get Himmler, you know? And so would it actually be more effective to, you know, go back and gently, um, gradually improve the economic conditions of Germany in the 1920s so that Hitler doesn't have such a wealth of hate to draw on to rise into power? Right. If, would it be better to go back and kill Woodrow Wilson so the Treaty of Versailles comes out differently? Well, but even that, now you're still killing a person. I, yeah, I, I, right. I, I just – right. Yeah. Would, would it be like get him voted out of office and get Teddy Roosevelt in it for the second right. term instead? Well, I, I, right. I guess the what I'm saying is I feel like the time travel stories that I think would make more sense is where it's you're going back in time to do a much more gradual, much more you know societal change. But that doesn't make good, mm-hmm. that doesn't make good movies. You know, Like punching – you yeah. can't punch capitalism in the face. You can punch. You can punch a <laughs> capitalist. You know. Yes. And and I think that's maybe that's kind of where I get so many of my tensions about. And I think a lot of other people have their problems with time travel is all the things that could make time travel make logical and moral sense often go against go really against making time travel a good story. Yeah. Um. Exactly. There's a, a very small handful of like really, really good time travel stories, and there's a lot of like super sloppy ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that helps time travel the most, some of my favorite time travel stories are actually in fantasy, not science fiction, mm. because fantasy is not obligated to explain itself, right? That's one of the that's one of the um, the features of fantasy novel is eh, it's magic. A wizard did it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so uh, my favorite Terry Pratchett novel is actually Night Watch, mm. which is a time travel story. Um, Samuel Vimes, the, you know, the, the tough cop archetype that he's built, uh, travels back in time to when he was first joining the, um, the watch. Right. And as mentioned, this is a story about regret, like what things went wrong mm, yeah. at, the, at the beginning of his life. Um, like the he got involved in a revolution and that revolution went badly. Well, what would happen if now that he's old and he's been dropped back into time, he gets to change the revolution Would that, would that change the outcome of the future? As it turns out, nothing changed. He didn't want to change it. Yeah. Um, he said the, he, he talks to the, the, the history monks who have, who are talking with him. And he's like, the thing that I want is to go back to the life that I had. Yeah. And they're like, ah, that doesn't currently exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, you need you need to un, unstep this butterfly, basically, right? Right. Uh, which is, as you mentioned, one of the big, you know, you screwed something up in history, uh, go fix it plots, yeah. right? I mean, but, this, every episode of Legends of Tomorrow is basically this. Right. But the this this is a story, this is an intensely personal story about this character, and, like, he knows every step of the revolution, and he asks himself, if I was in charge of the revolution, what would I do? And then everybody starts listening to him because he's had 40 years of being a leader of people, right? right. And he he's like, oh, I am in charge of the revolution. Yeah. Well, what would I do? Yeah, because it's a much more subtle thing than he was at first looking for. Right. And it's it's a and the it, the the thing was caused by an event in another book, Thief of Time, which is about time and magic and somebody who can who is the avatar of time's son and stuff and so it isn't obligated to be logical mm-hmm. right the the history monks rebuilt history from scratch at one point it like it's, it's terry pratchett it's satire and it's comedy but it's it's a really serious deep book about oh yeah about all this stuff it, it, it is it is handily my favorite discworld novel but um 
fantasy like uh the Dragonlance Chronicles actually has it actually has both types of time travel in it. Both the paradox free um causality doesn't it, it, there's no causality violations everything that happened happened and um you can alter the timeline. Yeah. Um and it's actually they they have a, have an in-world explanation that makes more sense than any other time travel system, which is the universe was set up by deities, it's clockwork. <laughs> and then some deity came in and screwed it up. Like a deity of chaos came in and created another set of races. Yeah. Those races can alter the past. They're different. Oh, interesting. I like that one. But but the normal people, humans, orcs, elves, can't change the past. They can travel back in time right. and then nothing changed. They they were always the ones that traveled back in time. But, what are you talking about? Because that that <laughs> now you have a narrative conceit that acknowledges the problem of you know, because normally it's like if one consequence matters, all consequences have to matter. But now if right. you can set something up where these people can cause consequences but these people don't. Yeah, I, I like that concept. And uh, and then and then a human character figures this out because he's trapped. He went back in time in order to do a bunch of stuff and and be and ascend to godhood. Nice. And then he finds out that he can't because he didn't ascend to godhood in the past, so he can't. So all the especially <laughs> when you first of all, the Sam Vimes thing I think is great. I definitely want to get you yes. on as a um at some point to have a discussion about the ethics of Discworld and probably specifically the Nightwatch. Mm. I saw a post at one point where someone said, can anyone think of anyone they would actually want to be running police in this world today? And the, the first response was Sam Vimes. And I was like, mm, yeah. Carrot Car- 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 Iron Fonderson would also be a, an acceptable choice. Either one of awesome those. Also good truth. Um, yes. But uh, the, the point being, the story about regret, it, it kind of takes us back all the way to the original question we we're talking about. One of the things that makes me realize is I'd be really interested to see stories about a situation where a character wants to go back and fix the thing that went wrong in their life. But they have mm-hmm. to recognize that actually a much better thing came of it. And, and the idea that's coming to mind is, and I'm not sure if I'm just coming up with this already or if maybe this is actually a story that I heard about once or it's just a story that exists whether or not I heard about it. But imagine a situation where, you know, a person, like you said, like they broke up with a lover of their life for a, a bad reason. You know, they, they went to grad school on the other side of the country because that was more important than that person or whatever. And they've, they've now lived this sad life always wishing that they could go back and um, – be with that person again. But but it's somehow like through the course of the story, what they realize is that the heartbreak of the breakup caused their partner to decide to like focus all of their feelings instead of on sadness about the breakup into their studies or into activism. And to some extent, like that breakup propelled this person to have a great effect on the world in a way that if they didn't, it wouldn't happen. And now this person is faced, now our hero is faced with the choice of do I go back and get to lead the nice romantic life I wanted to if it means that now, like, this breakthrough in science doesn't happen or this, like, major activist movement doesn't happen? Um, that, that also raises another question about time travel, which is, do characters besides the protagonists in a time travel story have agency? Yes. It, it, and That question I brought up about um, uh, City on the Edge of Forever does the peace yep. activist get to know that she has to die? You know, does right. she get to it, make the choice for herself? Because that's like that's morally weird that they just decide to let her die, right? Um, if from Spock's perspective, from a purely logical consequentialist, the past already happened. What are we doing? Perspective. Spock's perspective is she's already dead. We need to go. Right. Right. Um, from McCoy's perspective, he's got the Hippocratic oath: do no harm, save lives when possible. But does Edith Keeler have any agency in this? She really doesn't. She's a cardboard cutout yeah. as far as the, the story's concerned, right? Well, because it's an idea of uh, who has the consequences. Like, we, it, this is very much a, like, McCoy, Spock, and Kirk are PCs. 
she mm-hmm. is a she's an NPC by the rules right. of that story, you know. Um, and so, some things deal with it. Travelers deals with it by just the travelers. Um, that's the that's one of the core conceits of the show. Actually, is they start by believing that they're the only people that matter. Everybody else is irrelevant. The only th- people that matter are travelers, humans from the past. They already died. Yeah. And then they come to the conclusion that no, these people are alive right now in front of us, and they matter, and their choices matter. Mm. Right. Uh, I need like, w- why should we save their lives um, right now in front of us? We're we're talking about the future. Right. Right. And then they they come to the conclusion more and more. They're like, oh, that's a really dumb and weird thing to think because <laughs> they're immediately in front of me making decisions. Yeah. Well, yeah, because um, it, it's so much of it's about what is it that matters to you. Like I'm I'm now mm-hmm. thinking a fun time travel story. Um, uh, the original co-host of the show and, and a frequent guest still, Paul Hoppy, mm-hmm. he's a vegan. Um, yep. I'm thinking you could have a cool story about a group of vegans who basically go all the way back to prehistory. And try to find, like, every moment where for the first time, like, a group of people ate the flesh of an animal and they poison it to try and get those people to think, no, we shouldn't eat animals, you know? Um, that, that's probably far too broad a thing just in terms of anthropology. But, like, it's an interesting idea of because to that group of people, the preservation of animal life, you know, it would be – you could literally, from that understanding, save billions and billions of lives. Um <laughs> But then you are also deleting all of the future chickens, right? <laughs> like, that chickens don't lead good lives in factory farms, but fundamentally the factory farm causes them to live. Right. Is it a net positive or negative to delete them from existence? Yeah. I mean, it, it's... It... <laughs> and, and that's why... I, to... <laughs> I really appreciate what you're doing, because I, th- I think what this is helping me better understand is that if you can look past the logical fallacies of time travel... The moral questions it raises are actually fascinating, really interesting. I uh, think the problem is that yeah. so many, so off, so many time travel stories, either they get lost in the time travel mechanics instead of the ethics of it, yes. or they just do the time travel mechanics so badly that it doesn't make any sense. Right. And so, like my pitches for stories that actually talk about this is a bunch of Sound of Thunder, obviously. Mm. Um, the the like the thing that the butterfly effect comes from. Um, if you want to read ones, um. Have you heard of the first 15 lives of Harry August? I haven't. Okay. It's uh, the the protagonist is Harry August, who is an Ouroboran, or they call them Kalchakras in the book as well. Different, They have different names for what they are. Every time they die, they're reborn as themselves at the start of their life. Their life is on a loop. Mm-hmm. And it's a time travel story because he lives through 15 lives in the book, right? But... Um, all the other Caltrackers are running around and doing stuff. And they, there's no explanation. They don't understand it. They, they don't need an explanation, right? right. They, it, it's just the way that life is for them. But they have these, these moral quandaries about other people being NPCs. What happens if you change the future? What happens when you change things enough that another Caltracker isn't born? Are you killing them? Mm. Uh, like, And so there's a bunch of this that goes on, and there's a, obviously a big struggle between between different characters and um like it's a book that treats time travel as a real serious ethical thing that also drives a plot that you really couldn't do otherwise Ooh, this is a book i'd love to read this sounds really interesting oh it's very good yeah um by claire north okay um the end of eternity by isaac asimov because i'm a big isaac asimov fan treats things very very well yeah. like i said the the protagonist doesn't realize that there's moral and ethical questions buried in all the decisions that he makes. Mm. But 
Asimov is very aware of that. Well, yeah. So because and, and we'll, we'll we'll put all these uh, yeah. all, links to all these, or at least the, the yeah. titles of all these books in there. Um, I'm now, however, going to take away your own agency for your own good because you said you wanted to keep this to uh, about 60, 90 minutes, but I'm sure we'd have so much fun yeah. talking about well, it more. The, I, I, I was looking at the time, and that's why I was talking about these other things to check yeah. out. I had I had a couple others, and then we could – do we want to yeah. tag out at that Well, point? I would just say – Because like, I'm just going through yeah, – Yeah, is there any kind of like – wait, if there's one last sort of question you think we haven't gotten into or uh, – you know, Oh, sure, uh, Because sure. maybe we can just put those books in the notes, and if you want to just write a sentence or two. Yeah. For our for our uh, people who look at it that way, but yeah, what's kind of like? If there's one last question or idea that we haven't talked about yet that you want to make sure we get into. Uh, so the the other question that you can you can really ask about agency is is you know the biggest one, which is um, who gives you the right? Right. Because you made the time machine, does that give you the right to decide the future? Yeah. That's very arrogant. However, a lot of people get put in that situation day to day. What gives the you right. know, president of the United States the right to make the decision about whether or not to launch nukes at other countries? Well, and fundamentally, it's, I think this is actually the just the most fundamental superhero ethic question is, you know, it, it's yep. the Peter Parker question. Does great yep. power come with great responsibility, whether that power is the ability to go back through time or the ability to punch really hard or the ability mm-hmm. to, you know, buy everyone out of poverty? Um Yep. And it's interesting, I think, especially because for all the things we've talked about, like if you don't know the consequences or you don't recognize your own biases or anything like that. Um, you know, one thing I, I'm just thinking of is, um, you know, imagine if time travel was just like easily available to everybody. You know, a parent is watching their child like, you know, basically like die of drug addiction. Can they go back in time to change, you know, to take the needle out of their child's arm for the first time? You know, when it seems like that's an objective good. But again, also, how much is that our different perceptions on drug use and things like that? And, and, and or would it be better to go back and, um, you know, make sure that child gets good addiction treatment or something like that? Like, there's just right. It's all these questions that open up. And, and I think they all stem it, from this idea of do you get to make why do you get to make that decision or who gets to make that? decision? Right. And do you when you go back to that child and you, you know, you know that they're going to, um, you know, get their first heroin at this particular friend's party. You go back in time and you ground them a week before that and then prevent them from doing so. And you're successful. And you stop them from doing that. That makes the child in the future a different person. Yeah. Because people are the people are the sum of experiences and the pattern that is ourselves, right? right? And so you changed that person. Is that killing the addict? Yeah. That they become 20 years down the road. I mean, it's a very different question, but this is the, the Tuvix question from Star Trek. You know, we yeah. have two, be- two people who are melded into right. one person. And yeah, it's – um. do you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I have watched some of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I stopped partway through. I should probably pick it back up. They, they do, a, but... they do a, a version of the forked history, but where it's about, like, people living in an artificial intelligence. Uh, it's sort of a like a, a basically a multi a, a a alternate reality online. It's basically sort of like you know right. the biggest MMR MMRPG, but like real. And mm-hmm. one of the really questions I get into is like, okay, so you have these computer programs that are act you know like the that are living real lives in this thing. Because it's not really a computer; it's kind of like somewhat magical. Right. If you turn it off, all those people die they blink out of existence they stop the simulation question yeah Yeah. and and i feel like that's the mechanic to create the question is different but it's the exact same question as the fork timeline thing 
Uh, this isn't quite that. My, my question is, assuming that you don't have a fork timeline, there's a single changeable timeline, mm. the, the standard caveat. If, if, you know, I go back in time and say that in a t there's a timeline where my, my, uh, my child becomes a drug addict and I see that and I go back 10 years before that and I stop them from getting exposed to it. The, the person who is the drug addict that 10 years down the line, that 10 years of experiences are different. Yeah. Right. I deleted them. I removed them from existence. It, they're, they're gone now. The person 10 years in the future is different. They're a different person, quantitatively and qualitatively. Right. right? Yeah, I, I get your point is there. That, yeah, it's like, yeah. how are you, you know, on some extent, you're now deciding that that person's life would be better. And so you should, that therefore the, the not, the, the non-prime, the non-optimal version, you know, gets destroyed. Um, right. Uh, back to the future. Um, Biff Tannen. In the bad in the bad evil timeline, right where he he's destroyed the city, he had a good life. Yeah, he enjoyed his life. He uh, he was a he was the hero of his own story, basically, right? And but that Biff Tannen has he's like when you go back in time and you you fix things and you bring it back to the normal timeline, mm -hmm. Biff Tannen's good life is deleted. The the Biff Tannen that won at life that opened a casino that controlled everything. That person is gone. Yeah. Is that murder? Yeah, it, it's murder. Man, it maybe because basically what you're deciding is that the world is better off if these people live, but these people don't. And yep. that's and if, that's what Hitler thought. This set you know? of that's what any of these people thought, you know. Yeah. And it's it, yeah. There's, there's just so much hubris that has to get involved. Um, right. And, and going back to the, the question I raised a while ago about you know mm -hmm. what if you could save all these lives not by going back and killing Hitler, but instead by going back and killing Christopher Columbus. Or, you know, mm -hmm. in some other way, like killing the right people to end the sort of colonization of Northern America. Um, I imagine that if you gave – if an American invented the time machine versus if a European or some other non-American invented it, they'd approach the question differently. Because it's – we can – you know, I, I mean I, I feel like I'm one of the biggest people mm -hmm. who would say like, you know, the colonization of North America was wrong and terrible. But – and I, I think, you know, if you had the chance to undo that, I think objectively you absolutely should. Subjectively, though, I know that means that I don't exist, that that everything that is American doesn't exist. And it's it's hard for me to – I know that my brain catches on that idea. And I think right. that's why I shouldn't make you, that decision. Um, right. You delete a billion people. Right. It's not that they die. They just never were. Right. And, and you replace them with probably a huge other number of people, you know – so it's not it's not that it's a zero you know we're not saying how many yeah. lives get deleted it's just yeah someone's it, still deciding that these people's lives would have had more more of a more 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 moral value than this other group right and that's weird and troubling because that's that's a question that comes up in real life too uh, we talked about Chairman Mao right? right uh Chairman Mao made that decision all of the time yeah right that that's one of the things that is bad about him is he would he made the decision to to trade lives for other lives right. constantly and we don't think that the lives that he traded were good or i, and, I don't well and, and i i think i mostly agree with you there but i also think I've, I've read moral arguments from some philosophers who say like look at the state of modern china today that is mm -hmm. deeply problematic in a lot of ways but the amount of starvation the amount of you know economic exactly. deprivation that happens there because the Great Leap Forward killed – both Stalin and Mao dramatically increased their country's industrialization at the expense of millions and millions of lives. Exactly. That's why I picked on Mao because that's a that's an obvious decision in trade that he made. Right. Right. Um, 
and the the question is it, it, like i said you don't have to resort to time travel for for most of the plots that time travel like goes to right uh because they're they're real actual moral issues mm -hmm. But they, time travel lets you pack it into a smaller space and have fewer characters to make a bunch of the same points. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's it's a lot. And like I said, we could do an entire series on time travel. And I feel like now, basically any time a, a big time travel movie comes out, I'm just going to get you back on. Because I think it's <laughs> – there's an interesting way to analyze these things because we can look at both what are the logical – to me, there's almost there's three levels of analysis. It's what are the logical yeah. questions, what are the moral questions – and what's the balance that the writers have to do between the logic and the morality versus the storytelling? Um, right. I, I would get into all of those. So, so Rob, I know you wanted to like uh, get to your dinner, um, but folks, I'm, I know you would be happy to continue these conversations, and I will speak in a moment about how they can continue the conversation with you on the superhero ethics pages. Um, but if they want to hear your thoughts on other stuff, where, where can people find um, stuff you're thinking about or talking about uh, outside of this particular question? Plugging my pluggables. So <laughs> I guest on a few on a couple other podcasts uh, frequently enough. Um, I'm on Good Luck High Five every few months to talk about upcoming magic sets and magic rule stuff because I'm a magic judge. Uh, if you this is Magic the Gathering are, for anyone who doesn't know Magic what we're the Gathering about yeah, tabletop card game. Um, don't expect content outside of magic; it will be entirely foreign to you if you don't, <laughs> if you don't do magic. Uh, Megan and Maria are fantastic, but it it's focused to its job and it yeah. does its job well. Um, there's also, if you like geekery stuff, um, I have been on the geek bracket a couple of times, mm. which is a, a podcast quiz show that's run by judge JP and, uh, JP's great and we cover all sorts of stuff and I definitely got smashed with wrestling trivia questions last time, <laughs> which nice. I know actual zero about. <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, the, and I'm going to be on again in, the end of the month september 30th i think is when my when we're recording so it'll be sometime next month i'll be on there uh check out both those podcasts they're great they're fun times awesome yeah i've heard uh i've, I've only heard a little bit of the geek bracket but i really enjoyed it but i definitely heard you on um good luck i five a number of times and for those people who aren't into magic the gathering it's a great thing um mm -hmm. but for all of you what do you all think of time travel i know um <laughs> clearly they keep making time travel movies and um matthew carroll especially the uh founder originally of the stranded panda podcast network or at least one of the main founders he's a big fan of it and i imagine many of you are as well um what do you think do you um do you agree with the kind of logical breakdown we gave do you uh disagree do you have other thoughts do you think we should throw all this out because time travel is just fun and who cares let us know uh you can find us on facebook or twitter at superhero ethics um you can also email us superhero ethics at gmail.com and all that and more you can find on the stranded panda uh podcast network website just strandedpanda.com there you can find stuff about um other podcasts i'm doing other podcasts that some of our other great hosts are doing um here we have kind of an ethical perspective but there's also podcasts that just do deep dives on marvel dc star trek star wars uh a number of other great properties as well as the bingers assemble and pandavision podcasts which just kind of take a look at movies or tv shows that are beloved by geeks um in either uh but aren't, don't have their whole uh, their own whole verse. So, Binger's Assemble for the movies, Pandavision for the TV shows. And um, on by the time you hear this, uh, Pandavision will have started a discussion of The Boys Season 2 that I'll be on, where we're going to, for each episode, put an episode out. Great TV show, raises a lot of great questions uh, that I think are very vital to what we talk about here. Definitely should check it out, and hopefully check out the podcast. So, Rob, thank you again so much. Thank you yeah. to um, all of you listeners for being a part of this. Have a great day. <laughs>